0: So this week, we're back to our series on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that teaching of Jesus, very, very famous teaching of Jesus about what it means to be his disciple, or his, his disciple, his follower. So we're looking this week at Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness... How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. If uh, you were to join my son's primary five class, (laughs) you would discover a lot of the chat at the moment is about YouTube and specifically, about how many, many of the kids, as their main current fantasy, would like to start a YouTube channel on which they would play games. And because of their great and immense skill in playing those computer games and the wonderful witty chat that they would have in doing them, so many people, millions of people, would subscribe to their YouTube channels that they would, in the process, become millionaires. Now, it's good work if you can get it playing games and making a heap of money at the same time. And, you know, you can have dreams. But I think if most of us here were kids again, I think most of us would be rather glad to be able to let our parents worry about the cash instead of ourselves. (laughs) Rather than dreaming about piling up the millions, I think most of us would be hoping rather (laughs) to be able to trust someone else to deal with the money. It's one of the great privileges of being a kid, isn't it? That someone else deals with all of that. So even if things are a bit tight when you're growing up, at least you're not the one who's having to worry about making ends meet month by month. This passage is reminding us that we have a heavenly father who is there to worry, not that he does worry, to deal with our worries and our fears and our longings about money and that we as his children can trust him with that. This whole passage, this whole sermon on the mount is as we said about the way of the life of the people of God and chapter six particularly talks about the reality of knowing life with a heavenly father who cares for us. Last time, Two weeks ago we saw how that totally transforms our spiritual life. Prayer, fasting, things like that. Because there's no need for hypocrisy or or showing off performance in these things. Because when we have a heavenly father who cares for us, we can simply come to him in trust. Here we see how knowing our heavenly father changes our attitude to money and to wealth as well. It it breaks this passage really into two sections. In 19 to 24... Jesus invites us, as it were, to invest in God's heavenly kingdom, and particularly not to long for wealth or pile up wealth on earth. In the second half, 25 to 34, he reminds us that peace is found by trusting in God's fatherly care, that worry about money is something that we can put aside and instead trust in him hard as that sounds when we say it. So firstly, 19 to 24, the call to invest in God's heavenly kingdom. Now, I don't know if any of you have watched the news this week, seen the reports about Hemsby in Norfolk, a bunch of houses falling off a cliff there. Uh, I'm guessing that even if you have money to splash, nobody is planning to buy one of those houses in the coming week, since it will probably be a week or two before they are in the water, at most. Jesus in this section is telling us whenever we pile up money on earth we're doing the same thing as investing in one of those houses. Now the timescale is slightly longer but we are putting our money in an investment that is going to in the end crash. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Money can be useful. Money can be good. Money is something that can be used for all sorts of good purposes. And it can be used as well. You know, God is glad for us to enjoy the good things that He gives. And yet, there is a temptation always to spend our time either piling it up or pursuing it or longing for it. And the reality is, money piled up in this earth is never a good investment. And so Jesus wants us to cure us of our love of money. And so he tells us where we can make a better investment. We got moths in our house not so long ago in a clothes drawer. You don't get them often nowadays, do you? They don't like modern fabrics, really. But there's something deeply frustrating about pulling a nice woolen jumper out of a drawer and it's sort of falling to pieces in your hands. Jesus is reminding them, that's what happens to all our treasures on earth. And even nowadays when, okay, where our treasures are safer and our thieves can't get into our bank accounts so easily, nothing is quite secure. There can always be another financial crash, can't there? You know, my my dad's pension in a different way. His pension fund went bust um, after years of putting money into it. There's nothing quite secure. And even, of course, if you have a great nose for investment, you do everything just right, you lay up piles of wealth, you can't take it with you. Kids have been talking about this gentleman, Tutankhamun, this week. He tried to take it all with him. I don't think it worked out too well. So Jesus is simply saying to us, you know all your money, all your treasures, all your possessions are slowly slipping away, they're decaying, they're disappearing. But there is an alternative. Treasure stored up in vaults where no thief will ever come, where no moth can ever breed, where no rust will ever bite. Put your treasure in heaven, he says. And over in Luke, he tells us how this is done, very simply. It's when we give away instead of hoarding things for ourselves. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, he says. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. He's saying, when you give, you're laying up treasure in heaven. Now, of course, we need to take into account the rest of the Bible's teaching. Proverbs 6 tells us to look to the ant which stores up provisions in winter. We're to be sensible. Uh, we're make, to make provision for the future. Uh, 1 Timothy 5 tells us that we're to look after the needs of our relatives and our families. Uh, we're not to give everything away in such a way that we can't do that. And he's certainly not telling us we can't enjoy his good gifts, which 1 Timothy 4 says we're, we're God created to be received with thanksgiving but he is saying that our hope our delight must not be in these things that we own and and let's be honest we live in a very materialist world don't we we are surrounded by adverts there are shops full of things that are everywhere that we long for and life you know some of us will be finding things financially very hard at the moment but in another way, so many of us live lives that are immensely more comfortable than they would have been 40 or 50 years ago, let alone in the time of Jesus. Um, I remember a conversation with one of you not so long ago about uh, heating prices, which remind, reminded us that when the, they were growing up, they didn't have any central heating. Um, coal fire, exactly. Do your toast in a nice long fork. Exactly. And then when you went to bed, it was a long way from the cold fire and it was a lot colder. (laughs) We are very lucky. And it's so easy to be swept away by the longings for just something slightly better. You know, internet shopping was created to gnaw away at the minds of people like me. (laughs) The longing just for one more thing is constantly with us, to lay up those things uh, on earth. And yet so many of them not just be rotting away, but we'll be chucking them out in a year or two or five years, uh, putting them into landfill. And Jesus tells us that the reality is the longing for these things actually distorts our eyesight. It blinds us. Greed blinds us. That's what, what his next section is saying. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, it's not immediately clear when you look at that verse what it's about, is it? It's but. Um, Jesus is talking about money on both sides of it. So we can probably guess he's not stopping for a brief chat about optics. And um, interestingly, the Old Testament, um, as a figure of speech, talks about an evil eye as, as a, a way of talking about being stingy. Um, that's two different translations of Proverbs 28, 22. A man with an evil eye, a stingy man. Same thing. It's picture language. An evil eye is, is an eye consumed by the desire for money so that you can't see clearly. Um, And if we stop to think about that, I think we know that's true. You know, however much money you get, it's amazing. Almost always you think you have roughly the average income. Nobody thinks that they're rich. You have to get very, very rich before people begin to think that they're well off. And there are some kinds of things that we can do wrong that are very obvious. You know, if you go and rob a shop, it's kind of hard to pretend to yourself you didn't do it. You know, things sitting in your cupboard staring at you. But when you're greedy, it's so easy to convince yourself, well, I needed that. Or everyone else has it. Or it's just normal. Or... And the justifications go on (laughs) and on, don't they? It's so easy... The more we have money, the more we are blinded by it. And Jesus tells us that the danger of that blinding is that it leads us directly away from serving God. He tells us we cannot live with money as our master and God as our master at the same time. And that's the temptation. The temptation is to think, I need to make sort of balanced investments in life. I should have some cash invested in heaven, you know, nice, secure, long-term stocks there. And, but some short-term things as well that, you know, I can enjoy. You know, balance portfolio, reduce your risk and improve your gains. And he just says, no, no, no. Money so easily becomes our master. It be, so easily becomes the thing we think about that drives our decisions more than anything else. It becomes the boss. And if you have two part-time jobs in modern economy, you, you can do that, sure. But try to have two full-time jobs where you actually have to turn up for work things go sour a little quicker, don't they? You cannot serve both God and money. And we're constantly tempted to. We're tempted to serve God on Sundays and money on weekdays. God with our lips and money in our hearts. But money ought to be our servant and God's servant rather than our master. Now, the second part of the chapter of this section rather 25 to 34 talks more not so much about the temptation to wealth that's what we've just been talking about but the temptation to worry Now, the thing, the trouble with money of course is that if you've got it it has its temptations but if you don't have it, it doesn't stop you thinking about it does it not having money often drives worry and fear and jesus goes on to talk about that and he the important thing to notice in this is he starts by saying, therefore I tell you, this is carrying on from what he said before. These are not separate topics. Because of what I've said, because of what I've said about the importance of building up your investments in heaven and not on earth, the priority of thinking about our, your, your eternal, your heavenly life, your, your greater purpose in life, don't worry. Don't worry about your life. He says, your life is bigger than food or drink. Um, food and drink, he, he's talking to a bunch of peasants in ancient Palestine. These are the big expenses they had. Food and clothes. That's, that's what they worried about day to day. And most of us, uh, probably, um, most of the time, can be fairly sure of a solid meal in the evening. Most of us can be fairly sure we'll have something to keep us warm, even if it isn't quite as stylish as we'd like. And yet, these are still things that you watch adverts on your TV or think about what you long for, they, they are still things that drive so much of our worry and our longing, aren't they? It's, you have a bit more money, it's so easy to just buy slightly better food, just get that, fill up that cupboard with slightly more stuff from M&S and slightly less from Aldi. And... Uh, Clothes, well, it's very, very easy to blow an awful lot on how you look, isn't it? As you can tell, I haven't been managing that recently, but anyway. He says, don't worry. Why? Because your life is more important than these things. Not that you don't have to work for them. Jesus is realistic. He knows you have to work for them. You need these things. And he, and he does say that later in the passage. But he says, remember, you have a higher purpose. You have more to live for than these things. And it's so easy to be reduced to just fretting and thinking about these things all the time and to forget the bigger issues of life, the the things that you were made for by your heavenly father. You don't live to eat, you eat to live. And so he's reminding us to find purpose in what we're made for, not in those things that he made to help us serve that purpose. And Jesus then, he, he illustrates what he's saying. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. God cares a whole lot more about you than he does about birds. He is your Father if you are Jesus' disciple. He cares about you like a Father. So he's going to look after you better than he looks after the birds of the air. Now, it's an interesting illustration of this because, you know, if you've been watching the birds recently as I was yesterday in the park, they still you know, work for their food in a sense, don't they? You know, they? They still have to go and pick up what they eat and drink. And it's not as if they just sit with their mouths open. And Jesus, again, he knows we have to work for what we need. And yet, they don't worry and fret about it in the way that we do. They don't have all that constant thought about the years to come. All that worry that, as Jesus reminds us, can't add a single hour to our life. And he says, don't worry uh, about our clothes either. Look at the lilies of the field. They don't labor or spin. I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of those. So the greatest king of Israel in all his splendor and his glory wasn't as beautiful as a lily that grows wild in the fields where Jesus would have walked. Jesus saying, your father cares more about you than he cares about these birds and these flowers. Now it isn't Jesus' main point but you go out and spend time genuinely watching the birds and the flowers it will reduce your stress and worry. there's plenty studies to show that. Spending time in the park going for a walk in the park will reduce your stress and part of it is simply natural but part of it is just that reminder and I think this is beginning to get to what Jesus is saying, that reminder that actually not everything depends on me. Not everything depends on what I do and my work. There's a whole world of beauty out there. And if we know that our Heavenly Father made it and see his generosity and the the overflowing way that he fills this world with life and beauty and goodness, it's a reminder that (coughs) we don't have to be continually fretting in the way we so easily do. Will he not much more clothe you or you a little faith? Then he carries on. The pagans run after these things. In other words, people who, who don't worship God, they're busy with those things. But your heavenly father, he knows you need them. He knows what you need. And he cares about you. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. It's a big promise, isn't it? You put God first and he will look after these things. I think we find a promise like that that deals with the concrete and the material a lot harder to really compute and take on board than a spiritual promise. Um, You know, a promise that we'd have peace or joy or something like that. A promise that he will actually look after us physically is really hard to take on board. But he says that. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Remember the order of the Lord's Prayer, which you prayed earlier, and which Jesus had just taught just before this passage. He's saying, put the kingdom first. May your kingdom come. That's what comes first in the Lord's Prayer. And then later on comes that, give us today our daily bread. Now, Jesus is not being unrealistic once again. Um, when he says, do not worry about tomorrow, he doesn't say, because nothing bad will happen. He says, tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Is that true? Is there enough trouble most days? (laughs) Yeah, most of us, fairly confident, we'll meet enough trouble. Jesus knows there's going to be trouble. He promises us trouble. But he's saying, don't worry about it. Because in the midst of it, firstly, your worrying won't do any good. And secondly, God will still look after you, even in the middle of that trouble. He's not suggesting we go around singing Hakuna Matata. And maybe the care he gives us isn't exactly the style that we're looking for. You know, Perhaps we would like a few more things from M&S than uh, than he's giving us right now. Maybe there'll be genuinely hard times. The the Apostle Paul, he could write, you know, he was faithful to God. He was seeking God's kingdom first. He could write, I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. So there can be hard times. And yet, I think what Jesus is saying here, is very simply, seek first his kingdom. I will give you what you need to seek that kingdom. I will need you, give you what you need to direct your life to that heavenly life which is far better and far more wonderful. And most of the time I will look after you so that you don't suffer hunger or thirst at all. But even in those moments when you do, as Paul could write in Philippians, I will give you what you need to be content. And so for us, let's remember we have a heavenly father. Do not be anxious about everything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That was Paul's teaching. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus promises that if we seek first his kingdom, he will look after us. He genuinely will look after you. His father cares. Think for a moment what his life was like when he said this. Jesus was born poor. We know that from the sacrifice He gave when he was, his parents gave when he was born. Then he became an asylum seeker in Egypt. Then he worked as a carpenter. You know, it's not a, probably a wealthy job. Very likely, since Joseph doesn't turn up much more in the Bible story, his dad died while he was still working at home and he had to worry about a large family. And then he goes and begins his teaching mission. And as he says slightly further on in Matthew, foxes have their holes and birds have air of their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, Jesus didn't know where he was going to bed each night. And when he woke up every morning, He didn't know where his dinner was coming from. So when Jesus says these things, he's not speaking from a position of wealth and comfort. He's saying something that he himself lived out. Trust my heavenly father and he will care for you. Let your worries be handed over to him and he will worry about it for you. You put the kingdom first, put God first. Be gladly generous to the poor, to the needy, to God's work in the church and elsewhere. Don't let money rule your life, but seek my kingdom first and he will look after you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Let's make sure we're not like those kids fretting about our YouTube channels. Let's remember we have a heavenly father who cares for us better than any earthly father ever cared for us. God loves you. God cares for you. And he will look after these material things. Let's pray. Dear Father, the, this passage will have different things to say to different people here. Some of us are tempted to store up more money than we need. We're tempted to spend more than we need, to be greedy and spend it on ourselves rather than giving and loving and serving. Others are full of worry and fret because they don't know how they're going to make ends meet. I pray that whoever we are and whatever we're dealing with You would let that promise sink deep into our souls, that if we put you and your kingdom first, you will look after us. Give us wisdom and grace to know how to handle our money, but above all, help us to trust you as a Father who cares and loves and to put your kingdom first. In Jesus' name, amen.